Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Hebe Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're talking about trust versus look-through companies. How should you own your rental property? So we're going to go through a very specific case study that comes from a listener of the show, Iston, who says, I heard Andrew talk about this on a podcast not too long ago. You were talking about a case study where a couple had already bought investment properties and then used the equity in those properties to buy their own home. Andrew said something about how that wasn't the best way to do it. Would love to hear a proper explanation of how you might use a look-through company or trust in order to do whatever Andrew was talking about. So just a wee reminder, do you remember the case study that we're talking about? No. So here are the details. They were two Auckland freelancers. Mm-hmm. They couldn't afford to buy in Auckland, so they jumped on a plane to Dunedin. I remember. And they bought their first home there, lived in it for six months so that their KiwiSaver withdrawals were legitimate. Then they turned it into a rental, jumped on a plane back to Auckland and started renting up there again. Then, after the Dunedin property market boomed, they were able to use the equity in that investment property to finance them into their first home. And there are some intricacies around this in terms of what structure you might use, like a trust or a look-through company, in order to set yourself up the right way. So what I'm assuming in this case is that when they purchased their own home, they borrowed another 20% against their investment property and then borrowed the rest of the money from the bank in order to purchase their own home. Now, what did you suggest instead? What we assumed is that they borrowed 100% for their new owner-occupied property. What I suggested would be better is to sell the investment property to a look-through company simultaneous to purchasing the owner-occupied property, increase the debt on the investment property to 100%, Even though you can't borrow 100% on an investment property, you can assign 100% of the debt when you do that transaction and then get a bigger cash deposit for the owner-occupied property. So the net position, the same level of debt applies in both scenarios. It's just that in my scenario, the owner-occupied debt is less and the investment debt is higher. Now, the extent to which you can swap that debt out does depend on how much equity you've got in the investment property already. But before we get into that, why would you suggest something like this, Andrew? Look, you've got two properties. You've got your house and you've got an investment property. Now, you would rather the debt, because it's the same level of debt, as I said before, whichever way you skin this cat. Terrible saying, isn't it? And so you'd rather have more debt stacked against the investment property rather than the owner-occupied property. And there are four main reasons for this. And just to be clear, we're going to go through the reasons why you'd do this. Then we'll go through the mechanics, Istan, about how you'd actually go about transferring the debt across. What's reason number one, Andrew? Reason number one is that you can often borrow more money. So let's say, just for ease of numbers, you own two $1 million properties, and both of them have an $800,000 mortgage on them because you've been able to borrow 80% at various times. One owner-occupied, one investment property bought as a new bill. So you've got a spare dollar. One, just one of Just them. one dollar. You can pay off some- It's like the 15 that you owe me because <laughs> of our bet before we started recording. So you have one dollar. Where am I going to put it? Am I going to put 50 cents on each loan? Am I going to put a dollar into the investment loan or a dollar into my owner-occupied loan? Well, 
if you have that dollar and you pay it on your owner-occupied property, you can still borrow that dollar back again to put as a deposit on an investment property, subject to bank criteria, because you're going to be under the 80% loan-to-value ratio requirements. So your max borrowing is 800k, you've paid a dollar off your 800k loan, you can borrow it back. Now, if you pay it off your investment property... You could borrow it back again. Well, not quite, because your max LVR is 60% on an investment property now, so your max borrowing is 600k, but you've paid your loan down from 800,000 to 799,999, you can't borrow that dollar back. Oh. You're over the bank value. And this is why often we say when buying new builds, don't pay down the investment property mortgage, pay down your owner-occupied first because you'll end up trapping money in there. So this would also apply to anybody who bought an existing rental property when the deposit requirement was 20%. So that was two years ago where we were in the middle of COVID. You could buy an investment property, 20% deposit. Now you're going to need a 40% deposit. So there is a massive incentive if you have your own mortgage to pay down the one on your own home rather than your investment property. Because if your own home is already under the LVR restriction, then any dollar you pay off that mortgage, you can theoretically borrow back in order to fund the deposit of an investment property. If you pay down a single dollar off your investment property that is over the LVR restriction, you can't borrow that back to then go and purchase your next property. Now, the second reason you typically want your debt on your investment property, so not your own home, is to protect the home that you live in. So let's say that you didn't use our split banking strategy and you have an investment property mortgage and your own home mortgage, both with a single bank. Those two properties will be what we call cross-collateralized. And what that really means is that if you default on your investment mortgage and you stop paying that back because you've lost your job, your tenants aren't paying rent, some really bad things have gone on in your life, the bank has the ability to make you sell both properties. So even if you're paying your own home mortgage, sweet, you're paying that down, all good, but you're having trouble with your investment mortgage, they could force you to sell both properties. So having a low level of debt on your own home can be very beneficial, especially when you eventually pay that off. That's going to be really valuable for you, especially because we've got potentially a recession coming up. And that does make you think, well, what happens if I did lose my job? What if my tenants did go through some tough times? So that's why we prefer to have low debt on your own home, higher debt on your investment properties. Reason number three, you're going to feel better. So having no personal mortgage is one of the biggest goals for most people. And the feeling is great when you get there, when you've paid off that last dollar off your mortgage and you've got no debt on your own home, even if you're still using it to secure investment property deposits, paying off the chunk that's your mortgage is liberating. And I remember back to uh, one of the case studies with, we did with, I'm sure they won't mind me mentioning the names, Joy Emanuel, when we restructured some of their stuff to get rid of their personal mortgage. I, I remember them saying something along those lines as well about how great it was. Now, the fourth argument is potentially paying less tax, and it's changed a wee bit, and I know this is probably the real point you were getting at yes. when you gave this advice during the previous episode that Iston's asking about. The historic argument of why you'd always have low debt on your owner-occupier, your own home that you're living in, and have high debt against your investment properties, is that it would help you pay less tax. Because if you had debt against that investment property, so that would be, for example, if it's a new build, or if it was an existing property bought before March 2021, there was a big tax benefit 
Because your mortgage interest counts as a cost when calculating how much tax you'd pay, every dollar of debt decreased the tax you pay. So if you're going to have debt and it's just a question of do I hold it against my own home or do I hold it against my investment properties, you would rather that debt is held against the investment properties because it has a tax benefit, whereas if you just have that against your own home, there is no tax benefit. That is effectively what the entire interest deductibility rules are all about. Now, I say that it's a bit of a historic reason because even if you sell to an LTC today and it's a new build or a property bought before March 2021, Andrew, any additional lending wouldn't be considered deductible. Yes, correct. But then people might be thinking about the future and thinking, well, maybe if we get a change in government and maybe if they repeal the rules, that might be an appropriate structure again. I think the main argument these days is certainly around lending because the other thing that we know is that the LVR restrictions change. So let's say that, let's say today you're diligently paying down your investment property You pay a dollar off both. You're a dollar off your personal mortgage, dollar off your investment mortgage. But let's say that you're at a 60% LVR on your investment property. Yes. And you think, well, I'm just going to pay a dollar off because I can borrow that back. Well, what happens if the LVR restriction falls to 50% yes. rather than 60%? Yes. You see, it's much more likely that the LVR restrictions are going to change. And I realise we're getting really nerdy here, but guys. But that's easier to change than it is a tax policy. Yes, and it's easier for the Reserve Bank to change the LVRs on an investment property rather than an owner-occupier property. And because of that, that's why it's probably a bit safer in my mind to pay down your own home mortgage if you're wanting to grow a property portfolio. One now, thing that I didn't consider when I made that comment, Asin, is whether or not you'd have challenges around Brightline. So that is something that you obviously need to consider. And, and it was a bit of a throwout comment. And then, you know, digging a bit deeper into it through this exercise probably highlights a few other considerations. But anytime you are looking at doing this yourself, that's when you need to talk to a financial advisor or an accountant. And when you're talking about Brightline, you're specifically talking about if you move that property into an LTC and it's a rental property, you're going to trigger Brightline. You see, the other thing that I was thinking on this, oh, and by the way, if you want a deep dive into the Brightline test, you should definitely listen to our sister show, Property Explained. This is where our in-house Opus Partners journalist reads out her articles online. So if you want a refresher on that, just Spotify Property Explained, you'll be able to get that there. The other thing I've been thinking about is whether you'd actually use a trust these days. Yeah. Because if you have a look-through company and you move from, say, you and I are now in a relationship. Here we go again. I know, I always use this as the example. We move it from our own name into a look-through company. For the interest deductibility rules to still apply, we can't materially change the ownership. So I would question whether I'd be allowed to put it 99% in my name and 1% in your name because I'd probably have a, a more preferable tax rate to you. The only problem with that system, though, is if you put it into a trust and then the interest deductibility rules did get repealed, in a look-through company, I can take advantage of any losses on an annual basis against my income, whereas if it's in a trust, then it's tied up in the trust. That's true. But the reason I wondered whether you might use a trust is because you'd have a lower tax rate yes. of 33% rather than the higher tax rate of 39% yes. if it was held in your name. Yeah, this is where it gets, it gets very personalised financial advice. Go see a financial advisor. Well, I think definitely a property accountant because the issue now is we've got all of these different tax rates 
If you hold it in your personal name, you could be paying 39%. If you hold it in a trust, 33%. Then you've got considerations around Brightline. Best thing for anybody who's a bit earlier on in their property investment journey, if you're listening to this and your head's spinning a bit because perhaps you're newer to the show, all good. I think the main takeaway is if you're thinking about trust versus look-through companies, especially for this situation, property accountant is what you want to do. If you're a nerd, hopefully you're <laughs> salivating at the level of detail we're getting into here. <laughs> what, you don't like that? Well, I'm just imagining these people at the gym salivating over the treadmill. Right, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you're like Istan and want to have a long-term plan for your retirement, for you to build a passive income, best place to start is by using My Wealth Plan. Easy way to find that, mywealthplan.opuspartners.co.nz. You're going to be able to create it for free. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back here tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 